don't hit that skip button because I have huge news for you. The Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt lives. It is here. It is available to purchase. Oh, yes, I'm not kidding. We finally got our Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt out, and it's amazing. It is printed by the same company that prints for Cavity Colors and Fright Rags, which if you're a hardcore horror fan who buys a lot of horror t-shirts, I know I do, you know that's the very best and highest quality because we couldn't do anything less for our fans. It's an amazing full-color design designed by Jason Ragosta. It's very cool. It features a zombified myself, a zombified Damon, and it looks just like an awesome horror shirt because that's what we want because we're horror fans too. So we wanted to make a t-shirt that you could really sink your teeth into. Go to rewindofthelivingdead.bigcartel.com. Again, that's rewindofthelivingdead.bigcartel.com to get your t-shirt today. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. Following her breakout hit Juno, released in 2007, writer and producer Diablo Cody was suddenly one of the hottest names in Hollywood, so it didn't take long for her next script to get picked up and given the green light into production, with Megan Fox signed on to star in the film. Cody once again partnered with Jason Reitman on production, with Karen Kusama brought on as a director. Influenced by films like The Lost Boys with hopes of exploring a different side of horror, Cody said that her script spoke to female empowerment while also exploring the complex relationships between best friends. The film ultimately bombed at the box office, but in the years since its release, Cody and Kusama's film has become a cult classic while also being celebrated for queer themes with essayist Carmen Maria Machado praising the movie and the exploration of the central body of water that is bisexuality. The film centers around two best friends, one of whom is attacked and sacrificed by a mediocre band seeking fame and fortune, but instead of dying, she returns with a powerful demon inside of her and an insatiable thirst for blood. Where are we going? for dead. They killed you. I'm still here, aren't I? Something inside Jennifer was unleashed on September 18th. Are you scared? No, I... Revenge is sweet. I'm not gonna bite you. Jennifer's body. You want it? Rated R. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we make sure nobody gets in the creepy van and promise to last more than four minutes as we look back at the 2009 film Jennifer's Body. I'm Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, this week we are diving into what has become a big cult classic in the horror movie genre. Of course, that's our specialty, but uh, a film that didn't get a lot of love at the box office, didn't get a lot of love from critics, yet has become kind of a darling of hardcore horror fans in the years since, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement and, uh, you know, a lot of cultural shifts in Hollywood over these last few years. Uh, The film Jennifer's Body. Yeah, Damon, you know, I've got a little confession to make. I'd never seen it before this podcast. I'm one of those people that made it bomb at the box office. Way to go, Patrick. Way to go. Sorry, everyone. I know I let everybody down this time. Um, But I've been I've always been aware that this is a really serious cult classic. Uh, I was actually just talking with my friend Leo Rising yesterday. Shouts to Leo Rising. 
and they were like, oh my God, you haven't seen this? Like what? And, and they were so excited. They were like, I'm going to go watch it right now in celebration that you are going to watch it for the first time. <laughs> and, like they were just so excited. And then I, I got to watch it for this podcast, Damon, and I'm going to bury the lead here. Super impressed with this movie. Yeah. I re- like you mentioned in your intro, the, the uh, influence of lost boys. This is a lost boys for the modern age. And not just for the modern age, for the queer age. You mentioned this is a, this is a, this is considered a, 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 a horror queer classic. Yeah, it really is. And, and it's only within the last few years that that's really become prevalent. Now, when you look up like, you know, the best queer horror films, this is always on the list. And, and because, you know, it explores, I mentioned in the intro, it explores themes of bisexuality, which is, you know, it's a weird, like, it's a very weird thing. Like that's we, obviously in, in this day and age, we do see a lot more better representation of queer themes in, in all films, you know what I mean? Whether we're talking about gay, lesbian, whatever. Bisexuality is still kind of a weird dicey one where that doesn't really get talked about as much. And so this film really does tackle that. And there's a lot of other things. I mean, female empowerment, like I love that, you know, this film has, you know, the boys are the victims. The woman, the woman, Megan Fox's character is the one, the monster seeking them out. Usually it's the reverse of that. The woman is the final girl because she survived a maniacal killer who's always a man. Um, so there's a reverse, there's a reverse theme in that. Um, there's a lot of that going on in this film. And I know she, I, I, I scoured the internet and I couldn't find it. Diablo Cody, who is a well-known, you know, screenwriter and, and very well-regarded screenwriter at that, um, you know, in, in, as far as like, I looked at influences and I found the Lost Boys, right? You mentioned Lost Boys. I mentioned that in the intro. Tell me that you didn't see a lot of influence of Heathers in this movie. Like Heathers was the one that immediately popped into my head with the vernacular. She comes up with yeah. her own vocabulary for this movie, which is cool. The relationship between Jennifer and Needy, you know, best friends, but also like a little adversarial, especially, of course, you know, we know, you know, once we, once Jennifer gets uh, attacked and, and then ends up being, uh, you know, uh, possessed, I guess, for lack of a better word, by this demon. Um, yeah, like, it's so funny. Like, I, I saw so much of Heathers in this movie, and I adore Heathers, by the way. We've never reviewed it on the show. It's not really horror, so we've never really touched on it, but it is it is a phenomenal film, and, and it reminded me so much of that with, like, high school politics and, like, all the different little weird friend groups, and then you have, like, the super popular girl, in this case, you know, Jennifer, uh, and, and then the kind of, like, the, the you know, best friend who's trying to find her way in the group or in this case this is the two friend group but it's i saw a lot of i saw a lot of parallels with heathers and i really enjoyed that i think there's a huge parallel with heathers but i also think like and i'm just completely spitballing and and guessing that a lot of a lot of the reason why diablo cody is a celebrated screenwriter is because she was probably obsessed with heathers growing up (laughs) yeah i'm like i'm almost sure of it like something about a lot all her movies kind of have a heathers vibe to them but this one seems to be like the perfect fit like it's a weird dark comedy it's a straight up horror at times um and so yeah it does fit into that that heathers uh template pretty well but yeah like you you mentioned you know the the vernacular like diablo cody's known in all her movies for like in my opinion (laughs) or not in my opinion just from my viewpoint from from like growing up living in Southern California, it was like watching watching Diablo Cody's is like watching another world. It's like watching like like another country, another language for the first time. 
because Diablo likes to inject weird vernacular into her movies. And I'm like, do people even talk like that? <laughs> like who, to- who even talks like that? And, and I, and I, I call it um, writerly writing. And I feel like she's one of the few people that can get away with it because she's very skilled with her words, but it produces a lot of copycats who can't get away with it. Like oh, they yeah. don't do it well. Diablo Cody is a master of the written word and it shows in, in this movie and pretty much all of her movies. I'm a big young adult fan, actually. I love that movie of, of hers. Um, but yeah, Jennifer's Body, great coming of age, high school dramedy, black comedy, horror. It's multi-hyphenated, um, just kind of fun and dark and and weird, like Diablo Cody weird, which is good. Um, so Damon, take me through. Did you go see... Did you see Jennifer's body in the theater? Were you so one I, of the people who contributed? I, I did not, but I did watch oh. it. I did not go to the theater, but I did watch it when it first got released on, on DVD at that time. You right. know, I rewatched it right away at that point, because again, that was at a time when I wasn't like, you know, I was, I was in the horror, but I didn't, I didn't see everything at the theater at that point. Um, so yeah, I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it right when it came out. And I, I've seen, I had seen it a couple of times. And this is the first time I probably revisited it in a decade, I would say. Like, it came out in 2009. I know I saw it in 2009 or as soon as it was released on the home video. Because, again, it was one of those films that just kind of like came out. I remember seeing the advertisements for it. And then it just kind of came and went quickly because it didn't do well at the box office. And then I was like, okay, well, I never got to see that. And then it dropped on home video. And so I watched it. And I was like, okay, this was really fun. Like, this is a really enjoyable movie. And I watched it again at some point in the future. And I have not revisited this movie in probably a decade. So rewatching it, there were like so many parts of this movie I forgot how good this movie is. And I know we say this all the time. Probably people get sick of hearing us say it. But watching it with a critical eye versus just watching it as a fan, um, I appreciated this film so much more and this is one of those movies that just feels like it was in a microcosm of time where it just didn't hit now we do know the film was marketed completely wrong i know they've addressed this numerous people have addressed this including megan fox it was basically marketed as a film for horny teenage boys who want to get with megan fox like that's not what this movie is at all but that's how it was marketed it was marketed as here's megan fox one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And here's every teenage boy you should be marketed towards because you're horny for Megan Fox. Like that's literally how the movie was marketed. And that's not that that's 100% not even remotely close to what this movie is. So that's first and foremost. So that's why I think it came and went super quick. And again, this is one of those movies where I feel like as we get older and better understanding and better appreciation of certain themes and movies, we can go back and say, oh, wow, this was really smart. This was cutting edge. This was intelligently written. All these things, because the, the critics at the time hated it, too. You know, they did not. Like, critics, you know, I think it had like a 40%, or, you, know, you know, aggregated now on, on Rotten Tomatoes, was not popular with critics either, you know? So it's not like the critics had it right and the audience just didn't go see it. The critics had it wrong, too. So this is one of those films that was just at the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong marketing, and it didn't find its audience. I know this isn't even remotely horror, but it reminds me so much of one of my all-time favorite films, which is Michael Mann's Heat. Came out in 1995, huge, sprawling epic with, you know, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer and all these things. I mean, you've seen Heat. It's an incredible movie. Now regarded as, like, the greatest heist movie ever, which is a genre unto itself. 
But in 1995, no one gave a shit. Like it didn't. It didn't. It, it bombed at the box office. It was okay by critics. It didn't get nominated for any Oscars, which you would think, you know, in this, you know, in, in, even in 2023, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro starring anything is probably getting nominated for something. Uh, something. They, they got nothing. Like that film just came and went and no one cared then of course on home video it blew up and now it's regarded as what it should have been at the time which is one of the greatest films of all time and now i would say jennifer jimmer's body took even longer to find an audience because it wasn't really until like 2018 that this film started to pick up steam with audiences where people are like hold on now why didn't we appreciate this film when it came out more people got access to it and then everyone kind of exploded. So this is one where, like, it actually angers me inside that this film didn't find an audience when it came out and that it took us a decade, basically, to understand what this film was about, how how wildly smart and funny and brutal this film really is. Um, it just makes me a little sad that, like, we didn't appreciate it. I'm, I'm, like I said, we're both guilty of it, too. We didn't go see it in the theater. Uh, I saw it, I, again, I saw it, you know, sooner than that, like, afterwards, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have supported it in the theater. So, like, even I was a victim of that. Um, so it bums me out and kind of irritates me that, like, those are the films that don't get appreciated in their time, and it takes them a long time to find an audience. I'm glad Jennifer's body found an audience because this is a this is such a fun, uh, smart movie. I don't know a better way to describe it. It is a very smart movie, actually. And that's what I was most impressed by was just how absolutely clever it is. But you're right. Um, it's a twofold issue. Um, one is is it was marketed poorly. This movie today marketed the right way would do amazing. Don't touch a thing about it. Just put it out and it would be it would it would be huge. But the second thing was, let's think about the time. This is 2009. Classic dead zone for horror. We were in horror fatigue at the time. Um, Scream came out in the 90s and sort of ushered in this whole, this whole just deluge of, of teen drama horrors to the point that people were just sick of them. And it just kind of, especially the way it was marketed, came across as another teen drama horror. We'd seen a million of them. Now we got another one with Megan Fox, the it girl of the day. And it just sort of went brap because they'd seen, we'd seen a million of them already. Every popular, uh, you know, teen idol of the time had done a horror movie and this, and we were getting into the late stages of it at this point. So most people, and probably myself included, were just like, I've seen The Faculty and uh, Urban <laughs> Legend, and I'm just tired, and I, I'm good. I don't need to see Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body, whether Diablo Cody and company meant to do this or not, was an, was an absolute antithesis to all of those movies. It bucked all the stereotypes where it was all about brooding, good-looking guys and young damsel in distress girls, you know, and 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 like high school drama. Well, there's this is full of high school drama in the most clever way. But at the center of this movie are two young women, Amanda Seyfried, Megan Fox, Needy and Jennifer, respectively, um, with a very, I, I would say, combative relationship. They've been best friends since they were small children. But there is something about, you know, Megan Fox, her character Jennifer is is very popular with with everybody and 
her best friend needy is sort of mousy and kind of falls into the background she has her sweet boyfriend chip and they have their sweet little romance and jennifer is kind of edgy and interesting and i i loved how nuanced their relationship was and and that swings all the way back around to the queer horror part of it which is there was also just some level of attraction between both of them and that created some tension and 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 i think it it treated bisexuality super maturely nothing was ever you know just smashed over your head they never even say it out loud they just explore its dynamic in such a very uh i think in a way if only a woman would really know how to approach it because nothing about it seems exploitative at all um and then there's the horror aspect you know let's not forget this is indeed a horror movie and what i appreciated was how mysterious everything was um because again this was my first time seeing it so i i just watched it going like what is what is even happening you know they go to this club or bar really to see a <laughs> band that jennifer's all excited about which by the way damon as someone i know who is obsessed with music um low shoulder is is a great reason why I pretend like I didn't listen to music between 2000 and 2010. <laughs> there is a lot of bands that sound like that from that era, and it was a garbage era of music for me personally. I was not into that kind of stuff. So she's so excited to go see them, and she she wants to sleep with the lead singer, and uh, you know he he wants to oblige that because he's a bit of a creep himself, and they sweep her way in in a van. By the way, let me back up for just a second. While they're watching Low Shoulder at the show, something so weird happens, Damon. And I and I had to I, I put this in my notes. Okay, a fire breaks out. The place burns down, but in the middle of all that is just Jennifer staring lovingly into the eyes of this lead singer, and they like her, Jennifer, the lead singers, the the band, and Needy. They all kind of act like like a fire just didn't happen behind them. <laughs> All of them act like that for some weird reason. And I thought to myself, I go, you know, Damon hates all these artsy fartsy movies. That's weirder than anything (laughs) I've seen in men, anything I've seen in the green Knight. It was so odd. The, the, that moment of the movie was all it. it, I was like, is this movie going to be a surrealistic movie? Like what the fuck is this? I think, and this is, this is just me taking a stab at this. I think the fire really represented this movie of the um what's the best way i could put it the don't care attitude of teenagers at the time like a fire could be burning down around you and you're more (laughs) worried about you know i lost my hoodie or you know like you're oblivious to the world around you is kind of the way i took it like there is a great line where jennifer comes outside and you know she's like really discombobulated and kind of like out of it and they're like uh you know oh man what a harrowing moment uh, i need to be someplace safe and right now the safest place is my van come in our van and we're like what the f- like what are you doing but he's like you know she's so transfixed with this rock star guy uh, and when she when he says that he's like oh yes we're so we're so tormented we're so uh, uh scared from this whole experience we need a safe place and the safest place right now is our van and she gets in and then there, there's a great moment where where needy is talking to chip later and she's just like uh she says something like uh 
Jennifer just got in this van with, with you know, and he, he, he just got in this van. Are we not? And Chip's the one who's like, are we not acknowledging that there was just a fire that burned down to like kill everybody? And he's like, what what make and model did she get into? She's like, I don't know, an 89 rapist? And yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. But like, Chip acknowledged, like, some people acknowledge it. But yeah, I think that was just the commentary of the time where just t- teenagers of that era were just oblivious to the world around them. Like they just, you know, again, they were more concerned about, you know, things that didn't matter and, and, a, and a, a building burning to the ground with people they know inside didn't seem to really matter much at the time. That's the way I always took it. No, I think, I think that's actually a really accurate uh, call. And I'm sure that's kind of what it was. It was like needy and Jennifer are so consumed with each other or with whatever they're doing. Like they live literally in a bubble. I think, I think that makes a lot of sense actually. And in that moment, obviously Jennifer's transfixed on this, rock star and needy is transfixed on jennifer because she's in love with jennifer even if she doesn't know it like she just is she absolutely is um and then so you know back to the the story at hand jennifer shows up later covered in blood and then and and looking like like a demon or not like a demon but like a zombie or something something looks way off with her you get no info she vomits a giant thing of black blood vomits very popular in possession so you're like, oh, something's going on. And then they don't bother to really explain it for a very long time for until very much deeper in the movie. So there's sort of this mystery element of like, well, why is Jennifer like this now? And uh, I like that. And, you know, and they and they get into they don't hide. And it's weird. Like the only mystery is like, why is she like this? But they don't hide anything else. You know, Jennifer's the one killing all the uh, all the, the teenage boys. You know that that's going on. Um you know that uh, that that needy is like the walls are closing in on her. There's I don't know that it's a it's such an interesting structure. I think it's like a really delicate balance. Like this could go really wrong in the hands of a less lesser capable writer and director. We should shout out the director, Karen Kusama, uh, who I think did a fantastic job. And she she has directed a lot of like high level TV as well over the years. Uh, I didn't I didn't check about any of her other films, but um, man, I fucking, I was so impressed with this movie, Damon. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a fun movie. And, and again, listen, I want to be clear about this, like, because we talked about the queer themes in this movie and, and that's a big part of why we're doing this movie. It's the end of pride month kind of made sense to kind of close out the month with this film. Um, one thing that I like, I, I want to be clear, like, listen, I think there are well-written movies and well-directed movies about women who have been written and directed by men. I want to be clear about that, and vice versa. There are great films focusing on male-dominated stories written and directed by women. So let me be clear about that first off. But I feel like this is a film that could have only been made by uh, by Diablo Cody, who wrote it, of course, and then Karen Kusama as the director. Like, this was... I couldn't imagine anyone else touching this film and making it as good as it is, if that makes sense. So when I say mm-hmm. that, I'm, I'm saying that in the, I'm saying that to be clear, like, I don't want to shut out and say, like, you can't make a female led story as a guy. I think that's, that, I, I'm more inclusive. Like, I think you can. Now, are there some abhorrently bad made movies that are about women made <laughs> by men? Yes. 100%. But yeah. I'm saying it is, it is possible, right? Like it is possible when you think about, when you think about a film like this, or like let's say Lost in Translation, which was Sofia Coppola, and you watch that movie from the woman's perspective of Scarlett Johansson's character with Bill Murray and all these things going on in that movie, again, that's a movie to me feels like could only be made by Sofia Coppola. 
this is a film that could only be made by Diablo Cody. Of course, Diablo Cody wrote it, so obviously it's her idea. But what I'm saying is, like, the themes that they tackle in this movie and the subject matter they tackle in this movie, and then you get Karen Kusama coming in and directing it, it feels like the perfect storm. Now, again, I say that knowing that this film bombed at the box office and really bombed with critics, too. But I think it was just ahead of its time. Like, that was very this film. So. It, was very, it was so funny. Watching it last night... Like I was cracking up and 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 remembering how much I enjoyed this film, and I completely like I completely forgot that Chris Pratt was in this movie as a throwaway character. Like he's in it for like thirty seconds, and I was like, "Hey, Chris Pratt!" And it, then like he left and never showed up again. And I was like, "Why?" That's why I don't remember him being in it because he's yeah. in it for like thirty seconds. And J.K. Simmons, of course, is in it. Now I knew I remember I him being. I recognize J.K. Simmons. I remember him because obviously he did Juno, of course, with with yeah. Diablo Cody. So you know, it made sense. But his character was like in there, and I was like, I kind of forgot, but like I knew he was in it. But I was like, oh yeah, J.K. Simmons. It was just such a. It was like it was again the perfect storm of a film that didn't get an audience until much much later. Funny and, and horrific, and and you mentioned like the mystery element of it, like that was really intriguing because. Like when you see that scene I mentioned earlier at the bar where Jennifer gets in the van with all the band members and you're like, this is going to end horribly. Like, you know, this is not going to end well. And then when she shows back up all bloody and beat up, obviously in our heads, I think everyone with you know half a brain figures out that like we just believe the worst happened. And I'm not going to mention what we all think the worst happened, but we all believe the worst happened. And we know what that is. And then to realize like something else is going on. And then the power dynamic shifts where now Jennifer has the power. She's the one who is able to exert her power over men the same way that the men in that van exerted their power over her. And I love that dynamic of this film. And they kind of juxtapose the two positions like Jennifer is Jennifer is certainly a victim, but then she takes the power back. She takes yeah. the power back as the succubus, as the demon. And I love that little dynamic that they play with in this film. And again, to be clear, I'm not saying no one could make this movie, but I'm glad that Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody are the ones that made this movie versus anybody else, even though, again, un unfortunately, it didn't find its audience right away. Yeah, you know, you, you you mentioned that, like, how it's handled. I think that's what that's what really got me was there's no there's no time when I think you see, you know, aside from her being taken away in the van, once she comes back and she's changed, there's never a time where, like, you're in the male perspective ever. Yeah. Even the even when we do gaze upon uh, uh, Jennifer, it's done from this like really objective angle. Which again, like I don't, I think only a woman could have known how to do that. You're still looking at her, but it's not it's not how a guy would look at her. It's just it's how it's how I think it's how I think a great director would drink in a statue the right way. Like, it's just, it's it, it, it very interesting how that was done. And it, it, I was just like, yeah, it makes sense that a, a woman was able to to execute that. And then all the kills, it's not like, uh, there is one kill with uh, Kyle Gallner where you're kind of with him for a while while he's confused and driving through the new development, trying to find where Jennifer is. You're sort of with him, but, but really every time she's in a scene with a guy she's going to uh, eat, it never feels like the guy is ever in control, like never, ever, never for one moment where a lot of other movies would would do that. They would give the guy that kind of that moment where it turns to him. She's always in control and it would make sense. Like 
she's this now powerful demon. So why, why, why would a teenage boy and they're all dunderheads, all of them, <laughs> literally, um, it's why would a teenage boy be able to manipulate not just uh, this much more experienced girl, but also a very clever ancient demon? It's like they, they remembered to keep that in check the whole time. She will always be in control. And that was that was really interesting. It was also interesting, too, that she could float kind of between being this demon. She didn't know she Jennifer was still there in all that. Like, it wasn't like the demon just completely took over. So you have this dynamic of like this kind of vapid teen who now is imbued with the powers of a demon and you get both worlds. You know, she, we didn't lose Jennifer in the process. She's still there. And, and like, she'll say stuff like, man, I'm a God. Like she can cut herself and like, and, 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 and it'll, and it'll heal, but no one notices how self-absorbed she is because, because she's a teenager and they just assume that any teenager that looks like her would be self-absorbed. Yeah. It's super, it's super clever. Like, it's like, yeah, this could happen. A demon could infiltrate a school and the school would be completely oblivious because that's how teenagers are. They're oblivious. And I, I love the other thing too, the uh, one great little like sub theme that I enjoyed was the, uh, what I would call, um, tragedy fatigue. Yeah. Like when the fire happens, everybody's so upset and everybody, and then like one kid, another kid gets killed and they're kind of upset. And then the third kid gets killed and everybody's like tired of it at that point. They, they just got like completely moved on. And, uh, like, I, I don't know, like there's fuck. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm still processing this movie well, you know, we, we're, what's funny, we're recording so it, soon afterwards but I'm is, like I'm super impressed with with this, the ability to balance all those things this is another thing that goes back to the um, this is another thing that goes back to the Heather comparison I was making earlier with the whole uh, theme of like you know because in that movie it's about teenage suicide and then they just run with it and it becomes this weird like it's no longer about the tragedy of suicide. It's about using it as a tool yes. for other, you know, other means, other people are trying to gain their own way. Like the teacher who's like obsessed with it and trying to become like the, you know, the teacher and there's TV cameras and kids trying to get on camera. And suddenly everyone loved Heather, even though everyone hated Heather and like all that kind of stuff. And suddenly she's deep and meaningful, even though she was vapid and, and awful. Um, it, it felt a little bit like that in this movie where everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's such a tragedy. And like the way like even the first interaction when Jennifer attacks the the football player, like he's kind of like kind of despondent and kind of like, you know, ish, like kind of problematic, I guess, uh, it, it, the way he's the way he's reacting to the whole situation and like kind of sad about it. But then like Jennifer just looks right through him and just like, yeah, I'm going to eat you alive. And it's just a really fun dynamic they tackle in this movie. And it's so different the way they do it. And as you said, the fires, this tragedy, everyone talks about it for a few minutes and then it just becomes this other thing and people have kind of moved on and, and, and weirdly prophetic. Yeah. We're, yeah. Very weirdly prophetic. Um, also I do want to get credit where credit's due like you know we talked about like how well the the women the female characters are written in this movie i do want to give credit like adam brody is quietly really good in this movie as nikolai yeah. wolf the lead singer of low shoulder and it's so funny um like how like incredibly douchey this guy is and how well he pulls it off and like how 
blase he is about the whole like sacrificing a virgin thing in this movie there's that great scene in the flashback where you see her taken into the woods and they have her tied down and he's reading off like this list of things they're going to do to her and he's like and then anthony's going to wear your face i'm just kidding about that he's not going to wear your face but everything else is true it's just like the way they the way they wrote him and like he just seemed like the typical like douchey douchey musician who thinks he's better than he is and it was just so well written and so well orchestrated throughout this entire movie and i just i just loved it with that i just loved it with that can we digress for a second damon were you an emo guy did you like emo i did i did i I mean dude i saw the my last concert before the pandemic started literally in march like two weeks before everything shut down my last concert was dashboard confessional oh my god that's the that's the I loved it. Yeah, no, dude, I loved emo at the time. Yeah, that's Dashboard Confessional is literally like the gods of emo. Like they're they are emo's emo. So I, I just Adam Brody, you mentioned Adam Brody, like that whole that whole thing, like that whole side of it really hit home for me because in 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 the two the early two thousands when emo was so huge, I hated it with a genuine passion. And there's that moment when Needy's like driving in her car and their song has gotten super popular yeah. she's like ah that fucking song and like she shuts it off it's exactly how i felt during that time yeah no i get it i get it i understand <laughs> it but listen i mean like i said it's it's of the time this film feels of the time and it's so funny like i said it's one of those things where it didn't find its audience in the right way but it was of the time when you think about like the emo bands and yeah, it's just it's just a very well written and, and uh, it's a good satire as well in a lot of ways. Like you talk about the band thing, like these guys all come out like it's so funny. They come out and they're all dressed in black and wear an eyeliner and everything. And then you think they're going to be like this goth metal band, and then they play these like super emo songs. Like they're like through the trees, yeah. <laughs> like just totally, like, you just <laughs> totally feel that. Like and and that was there's I think there's a. I want to say it's in the background of Needy's bedroom where you see that she has like a fallout boy poster and I'm just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This was of that time. Like this was of that era. <laughs> I, when I saw that, I thought I was like, I wonder if Damon has a fallout boy poster. Cause I know you, you have a very big selection of music. Uh, I do. Taste. I do. I'm mostly, I, I'm mostly <laughs> but no fallout boy poster. N- no fallout boy. poster. I have seen fallout boy in concert though. <laughs> I've seen that. Um, no, I, I, like I said, I fully admit I liked emo music back in the day. Like I said, I love Dashboard Confessional. I'm going to lie. I'm not going to make it up, man. I love Dashboard Confessional. Uh, dude, like Elliot Smith. Dude, I saw Elliot Smith in concert before he passed away. Uh, I loved emo music at that time. I don't listen to it as much anymore. I'm much more, I mean, I've always been into like hardcore, like metal music, but yeah, that's the other side, the more sensitive side of Damon, man. Don't, don't begrudge me for having my emo side, man. No, no. I, listen, ever to each their own, but what, but I did think about you when I was watching this in terms of your musical taste i'm like i'm pretty sure damon likes this kind of music if i'm not mistaken it's like disco for me (laughs) it's like oh man this this i wish this hadn't happened during my 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 tenure as a music uh, fanatic but it did it did and i knew and every uh, so many people i knew love that kind of stuff um but i mean and that is an important part of the movie that i don't know if we've actually like narrowed down which is super interesting and spoilers for a movie that's you know this many years old now they did all this, this, this Nikolai Wolf and his band Low Shoulder. They, they attempted to nab a virgin and sacrifice her to some sort of deity. It's Satan. It, it, it is Satan. It's definitely Satan. It was Satan? Yeah, it, it, was, Satan. it was explicitly Satan? Yeah, okay. it's, it's definitely Satan. To, to gain, they did it to gain fame and fortune. 
yeah. which is like the the like it was a great way to just play on that trope and say like yeah this is what you do you you sacrifice a virgin and we're going to be popular and it worked it totally worked for them they they became huge because of it except for the fact that Jennifer was not a virgin she hadn't been a virgin <laughs> since middle school and, and I- that instead imbued her with the power she became a, a transcendent demon right or some, some she got a demonic transference yeah. and so now she was just fucking like a superpowered demon <laughs> fuck demon who could go out and like kill kill at will uh to stay to stay strong and there what do you think about that that whole idea of like feeding off others to stay beautiful like so- i feel like it's so hard for us because you and i I'm, I'm speaking for myself how about that I don't consider myself one of the beautiful people, Damon. I don't know how to stay beautiful. So that was fascinating to me. Like, what was that commentary all about? Well, here's what I... Okay, so now to be clear about this, I did not pick this up in the movie because I'm a, I'm a dumb guy. I picked this up reading interviews afterwards and doing research for this film where I figured this out and I was like, oh, you saying that about the whole like eating men you know, to stay young and virile, that's not what that's about. You and I were on the same wavelength with that. And I was like, okay, makes sense. I understand. Like she's eating to live. She's, you know, feasting on these men. And, um, although at one point she does say I go both ways, uh, which is another, you know, theme back to the bisexuality. Um, but she says, uh, you know, so we, we have that theme in there. I read an interview and I read some commentary about this, that the way that Jennifer, Basically, it's the reverse of a woman's menstruation in this film. Once a month, she gets hungry and she has to consume blood to stay virile and stay powerful and to stay, you know, whatever. Whereas we all know without getting gross and it's not it's not gross, but like as a man trying to explain a woman's body to her. uh, Trust me, there's a whole lot of people in this country trying to do that already. I the fuck will not be one of them. Um (laughs) But like it was the reverse of that, like what women's Re- reverse menstruation. That's yeah, and that was the that was kind of the theme of like the woman taking the power back. You know what I mean? Like because they actually mentioned in this film, uh, she says, "Are you PMSing?" And Jennifer goes, "That's just a, a made up word by the boy media." And it's just like, yeah, like that was really smart. And then that was I read that theme in an interview. I can't remember if it was Diablo. I want to say it was a Diablo Cody interview. It all kind of blends together when you do research on these things. They all kind of blend together. But that was the theme that was tackled in there where they talked about like the reverse of a woman's menstruation where during that week of the month, like they're 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 seen as emotional and and weak and and, uh, you know, uh, you know, whatever you want to like the other categorization of a woman's time of the month, so to speak. And this was the reverse of that. Like she's like she's taking the power back. She's feasting on them, eating their blood and gaining power. So that was the commentary I read about. And I was like, okay. when I when I read it, I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Me, dumb man, didn't figure that out at the time. But reading it, I was like, oh, yeah. Like now that I think about it, like that is true, because the way they space this out is that she feasts once a month. Like she's one month every time. And so when you really think when they when I read that. And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, okay. Now it's like a light bulb went on on my dumb you know, dude head. Well, uh, just imagine that. You or I don't menstruate. So, of yeah. course, that would completely go whoosh, like yeah. right over the top of so our smart, heads. it's so smart, right? Like when you think about totally. it, it's like so smart. Yeah. Like that's why I said this film is so smart on so many levels. And there's so much commentary underlying everything that happens in this film. When I read it, I was like, oh, okay. Like I mm-hmm. was 100% 
the dumb idiot in this movie going, oh, I don't like when I was the reverse of Jennifer when he says, do you want to go see Rocky Horror? And she says, I don't like <laughs> boxing films. I was the reverse of that when they're like, this is that's like a commentary on menstruation. I'm like, oh, really? So, yeah, that was me. That was yeah, me. I, that. I guess what what threw me was that until she like the, the closer it gets to feeding time, the more like gaunt and and feeling shitty she seems to be like she she just seems to be like a, you know i think that's why i think the visual representation seemed to me like and they even say it in the movie like needy even says it like you know how like once a month she she gets ugly ugly for her you know like yeah. like she talks about it like that like like she starts to, she does start to deteriorate as that time comes um but I, yeah so i think that's why i processed it that way but i never would have gotten the whole idea of reverse menstruation where consuming the blood gives you the power which is cool yeah. I, it's just there's just no way there's just no way you or i would have ever thought of doing something but like i'm glad that. i found it is what i'm saying because we would have just yeah, had a, you we would have had a, we would have just had a long like five minute conversation <laughs> uh, about that like how did lady parts work <laughs> yeah, they, they, i don't they, remember so they, much thinking we're figuring it out and uh and then afterwards someone would be like yeah jackass do you see this article where she talked about it so i'm glad i found that because otherwise you and i would have been waxing intellectual as two dudes <laughs> and been like yeah we, we got to figure it out patrick i wouldn't be waxing shit because <laughs> I, that's what exactly why I asked you. I was like, I don't get it. Now I get it. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention you also talked about we, we so the timing of us doing the podcast this week, a little inside baseball talk here. The timing of doing the podcast, we weren't able to pull best line for this movie. Uh, we're going to have a different category instead, which actually, to be honest, I kind of enjoyed the different category we have this week other than just best line. But I did want to mention you talked about the, the line where she says, like, obviously, when they said they need to sacrifice a virgin, when Low Shoulder needs to sacrifice a virgin. And we find out that, that Jennifer has not been a virgin for a very, very long time. There's a great line in the bar where Needy tells Jennifer, they're like she they, they want you because you're a virgin and she's just like i've been a virgin since middle school and then and then at one point jennifer goes and i'm reading the quarter because i absolutely cried laughing she goes yeah right i'm not even a backdoor virgin anymore thanks to roman by the way that hurts i couldn't even go to flags the next day i had to stay home and sit on a bag of frozen peas i cracked <laughs> up at that line. i had to sit on a bag of frozen peas i was crying laughing at that one I get the feeling uh, with little lines like that all through this movie, and it is a shame that we couldn't pull them, but we were just on a crunch for time. But I, I felt like I was getting a peek into the life of like a, a, a of, of two two women talking. Like it really did feel like it's like it's like something completely out of my world. Never mind the Diablo Cody nomenclature. It was just like oh, like I bet this is what women talk about after you know at, when things go on. It's just you. I got led into this little world. So if I sound befuddled and dumbfounded for most of this episode, it's because I was. Yeah. I was experiencing something completely new to me, which is cool. That's what's great about like, and you know, it, it's no mistake that we we are reviewing Jennifer's Body uh, during Pride Month, uh, you know, as being one of the top queer horror movies of all time. This is what we mean when we say inclusion is important. Yeah, I got I got something out of this story I never would have got any other way if we went by the traditional route. We it just it's you 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 get an experience that you you weren't able to get before you see a perspective you weren't able to see before if you're if you're one of those people who's out there and complains about um comic book movies and remakes are all we see these days well there's plenty of stuff out there like this even even in its day jennifer's body didn't do that well but it's an incredibly well executed film on all levels and i got and i and i i was immersed in a world that i i've never been a part of 
and it so it felt wholly original it was it, and it just feels like it's going to stand alone like to me i was like i get why this is now a cult classic the the, the reason why you and i deeply love the lost boys it kind of stands alone it stands out so strongly amongst its peers because it's something so unique that's what i got with jennifer's body and i'm like super grateful that i got a chance to see this yeah absolutely well let's get into categories and before we get to categories we always want to remind you we hear you at the we hear at the top of the show want to bring you back around here we still have the rewind of the living dead t-shirts are available um they are available for purchase you can buy them right now sizes small or 2xl um they are not shipping from some giant corporation or some uh, random t-shirt maker they are shipping from my house uh currently sitting about three feet behind me um so if you want to order rewind of the living dead t-shirt just go to rewind of the living rewind of the living place your orders um they ship out quickly and they ship out quickly because i'm the one shipping them out um and patrick it looks like you are rocking your rewind of the living dead t-shirt oh, which you can yes. actually see if you watch us on YouTube, so we have a YouTube channel, you can actually see Patrick is currently rocking the Rewind of the Living Dead t-shirt. They are awesome t-shirts. Uh, as we mentioned in the intro, they're made by the same company, uh, printed by the same company that makes Fright Rags t-shirts. And that was specifically done because I love their shirts. I'm actually wearing a Fright Rags shirt today, my Halloween 3 shirt. Uh, but I love their printing. I love their graphics. And I was like, I want to get something that quality. If we're going to make a t-shirt, Patrick, I don't want to half-ass this. I don't want to make it in my house with a digital printer and I'm ironing on images i want to make this like a real legit good looking shirt screen printed and so that's what we paid for and so they are available right now uh, it's limited edition so please get your orders in and uh, support the podcast through our new t-shirt please and thank you Let's get into categories, Patrick, and let's kick things off as we do each and every week here on the show and talk about best performance. And I'm burying the lead here by, you know, talking, you know, you, you and I, we always talk about best performance and we try to vary it up a little bit. We try to switch around, see who we're liking, things like this. Listen, let's just get in to the best performance of this movie. And that is none other than Megan Fox, which she has said publicly, this is probably her favorite movie she's ever done. And I want to say this, by the way, Megan Fox gets disregarded a lot of times as eye candy. She gets disregarded as just this like super attractive woman. And she gets plotted into certain roles like that. And I'm not saying that maybe she doesn't choose some of those roles. That's fine. I don't care. But Megan Fox is, is quietly a really good actress. Like, I'm not saying that she's, I'm not saying that she's Meryl Streep, probably because she hasn't had those opportunities. But when, when Megan Fox is in a role, she's actually really, really smart and really good with her, with her acting. And it kind of bums me out that she hasn't had more roles, not like Jennifer's body. This is a very unique role, but like more leading roles. Like she's a, a yeah. lot of times in the movies that Megan Fox is in, she's the side character. She's the supporting character. I think she's a great lead and I think she does a tremendous job in this movie. And so rather than talking about anybody else, I just want to you know talk about Megan Fox because she's so brilliant in this film. She really shines in this film. You really see just how good she can be. She understands the nuance of her character. Um, you know, th this she knows and movies can often do this. And I think this movie doesn't do this because of Megan Fox's uh, uh, acting ability. They will often just go, we need a scene where we explain why Jennifer's the way Jennifer is. And I'm not talking about like the possessed version of her, which we do see. That's different. I'm talking about the actual Jennifer, not the possessed demon. They would a lesser movie would have cut to home life where things are not so great or where, where a mom or a dad or somebody is not good to them or something happened to them in their past 
to kind of, when what it does is it kind of builds that character up and gives you a reason to understand them. They don't do that in this movie because a the writing is very good, but also b Megan Fox pulled off her character's complexity. She is a vapid teenager who is a few years past being the it girl, but is also like so sick and tired of being the target of men's desire. It happens all the time. And she it'll it'll happen in like a in a throwaway line where she goes, well, you don't get hit on by men all the time. Like you, you don't even know how it works. Like like she's exhausted already with this. She's still in high school. Yeah. And she is already exhausted with men and how they treat her. And so and and it and it and it shows itself in different ways. Sometimes she wants to manipulate a man. She knows how to like like when she talks with uh was it Roman, the the Chris Pratt character? Yeah, Roman, yeah. Yeah, when she talks with him, he's clearly like older, more experienced, but she's got him under her thumb not just because he his his tongue is wagging and he's super attracted to her. She just she is so well well versed at this point in men because she constantly has to deal with them. She can cut down a guy that's twice her size who's going to be a police officer. She knows every she knows she knows every in and out whenever she has to interact with a man. Yeah. It takes smarts to do that. And Megan Fox is a smart actor. And I would like to see her in more stuff like not like this, but complex like this. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know. I don't know her choices. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do in terms of how she wants to get acting roles, the movies that she's been offered or auditioned for. I know none of that. I'm not going to sit here and profess that I do. I'm just saying that this is such a smart and fun and brilliant performance that it bums me out. We haven't seen more of that from her um, because I think she is a real, she is a really solid actor um, who doesn't get a credit because unfortunately she's just disregarded as a pretty face. And I think that's so unfair and I'm not sitting here saying, I'm not, I don't want to compare her to anybody else because she's her own person. But like there, are, there are roles out there. Like I could, ab- like yeah, she could easily, she could easily get a role in like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and be a hero. But I'm talking about deeper, like more meaningful roles. And again, I don't know what she's choosing, so I don't want to sit there and say right. it's Hollywood's fault because I have no idea. Like I have no honest idea what she's been offered, what she's accepted versus what she's turned down. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I'm just going from the outside looking in of like seeing Megan Fox's career. She's had some strong roles, but again, typically. She's she is cast as the side supporting character and she's the pretty girl and or the damsel in distress. You know, that typical, you know, just, I don't know. I don't, you know, like, I don't even know a better way to say it. Like she's just, just a very typical written character. And I think she's better than that. And I, again, I'm giving her credit again. I'm also saying, I don't know what she's choosing. Maybe that's all she wants to do. I have no idea. Uh, but in my opinion, watching Jennifer's body, I'm like, damn, like she can kill it. Like she's really smart and really, um, really fun to watch in this role. And I just, I want to give credit where credit is due. Like she's brilliant in this movie. And again, I don't think she gets enough credit for how good she is. And, and I would love to see her in more of these kinds of, when I say these kinds of roles, these kind of leading roles, like these kinds of yeah. like leading yeah. movie roles, complex roles. Yeah. Complex, nuanced roles. She knew what to do with the, obviously she clearly had a great script and a great director in front of her. Yeah. That doesn't, that never hurts, but you have to know what to do with the pages. Yeah. She knew what to do with them. And yeah. and you just go, and I'm like, I'm not kidding. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of hyperbole. Maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment. This is a movie for the ages. This is a movie that is, should absolutely be slotted in with all the other great horror movies that were ever made 
including the lost boys you just go like it's just different it's just for you know different sensibilities in a different time but you just go this is incredibly good yeah. and she's she's a large 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 percentage of why that is why why this is a great movie absolutely so let's uh, segue to that to favorite character in this movie and listen again i would lo- i would love to sit here like i listen i legitimately for being a douchey you know uh under talented rock star adam brody does a really good job in this movie but my favorite character if i'm being you know being honest about favorite character my favorite character in this movie is jennifer like she's so funny even before she gets the demon like she's so funny and like I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, like, when I say that, like, I, I didn't go to high school with, with, with girls like that, like, she was so, like, I, I definitely went to high school with really super popular girls, and girls who could cut you down with one look, or cut you down with one line, I definitely did that, but Jennifer is quietly smarter than just about everybody outside of maybe Needy, her best friend, they, they push each other in that way. They, of course, explore the dynamic that she's kind of a bit of a bully to Needy, even though they're best friends. Like, she domineers over over Needy, and I, and I like that portrayal. It's very quiet. They don't hit you over the head with it a lot. Like, there's a scene early in the movie after Chip and Needy are together, and Jennifer shows up, and Needy goes, Jennifer's here. And she's like, what? And then you hear her call out, and he's like, that's weird. And they go downstairs, <laughs> and, and Jennifer's immediately kind of giving them shit a little bit, and then they're, like, kind of pushing each other, and then she, like, pushes Needy a little bit too hard, and she hits against the back of the door. Right there, you know the dynamic. Like, she is the power friend. Like, she is the A side, yeah. and Needy is the B side. I just love the way she played that character, and then when she gets the demon inside of her, like, she's just so like inviting yet vicious she's funny but also terrifying and i just love the character like i i would i would love to sit in and again i want to give credit where credit is due adam brody's character is really well done he's a douche but he plays a douche really well <laughs> um but i just love jennifer i don't i don't want to i don't want to just yeah you know, i don't want to sit here and make something else up and say oh here's my actual pick no this is jennifer she was my favorite part of this movie no she is she's she's not just the star of the show it's she's genuinely um, so much fun. Um, I, I did. I did have a favorite character on top of all this, and that was Chip, uh, played by Johnny Simmons. A chip. A chip is uh, is Needy's boyfriend. And uh, you may recognize him from Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the world. Um, fantastic uh, uh, character in that. And it sort of translates sort of migrated over to this movie, too. He's a bit of a doormat. Um, he's actually a good boyfriend. I think that was something that I put in my notes. I was like, he's actually a good guy there. I don't think there was any point where he was like manipulative or being kind of a shitty guy. It's needy had this good boyfriend. The problem is needy also had a girlfriend she's obsessed with, like genuinely obsessed. She's genuinely obsessed with Jennifer and lets Jennifer kind of walk all over her. And in turn, she walks all over chip. And so I, I just, I really liked him as a character because he never, uh, he never diverted into like, oh, wow, he now he's being another typical shitty guy. Yeah. Chip was funny. He was good comic relief throughout this movie. I mentioned in the intro and I said, we promised to last more than four minutes because that's a great line he has in this movie. He's like, he's like, for those four minutes, we made love or whatever he said. And I cracked up and I was just like, oh my God, that's so teenage, like so high school. Um, yeah. Chip's really funny. And, and like he, and he's the one who spots it. Like he's the one who sees it. Like he sees yeah. what Jennifer does to needy, but he also doesn't see that's the, that's what I love about this film. He recognizes the surface. 
like not to go back to the whole menstruation angle, but like he sees on the surface of what's going on that Jennifer is kind of domineering and dominating towards needy. She's the mousy girl. Jennifer's the popular girl. At the very start of the movie, Needy says no one could imagine us being friends because Jennifer's like super popular and beautiful and Needy's kind of the nerdy kind of mousy girl next door, the the girl next door kind of thing. Um, And Chip recognizes the flaw in their relationship right away. Like she kind of treats like she doesn't treat you as an equal, basically. Right. What Chip doesn't pick up on that you and I are talking about here that is, again, talking about the themes of the movie is that that quietly needy is in love with Jennifer. Like she has real emotional feeling and connection to Jennifer. And you and I both know, and this is speaking from a male perspective, but just in general, when you love somebody or you have a real like fascination love with somebody, yet it's not reciprocated. You act a different way around them. You mm-hmm. act differently towards them. You're, you know, that's the, I mean, I'm joking here, but like, that's the one who just, you know, that's the movies where the girl, you know, where the girl knows a guy likes her and she's just like, Hey, go get me a pizza. And we're like, okay. Like, you know, like we just, we have that like, and, but it's so like, that is the, that's the, that's the, the, the smart underlying current of this film is that in 2009, Films didn't really tackle bisexuality. I would say in 2023, there's still not great films about bisexuality. But I love that underlying current in this film that if you're smart and you pick it up, you realize right away that Needy has feelings for Jennifer that go beyond friendship. It's complicated, and she may not even know herself fully how she feels. Mm -hmm. But we all recognize it. And Chip sees the surface level that like Jennifer is kind of domineering to needy, but he doesn't know why <laughs> the why is because yeah. needy is in love with Jennifer. Even if, even if needy doesn't know she is, she's in love with Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of 16 year olds. They're not going to, they don't know shit. Like they really don't. So all he sees is they're like, wow, you let her walk all over you. What he doesn't know why is why she lets her walk all over is because in some way, somehow, like Needy needs to keep Jennifer close to her because she's in love with her, and she doesn't even know that. She doesn't even well, understand it's, that. It's funny so because I love it. Chip it's, is just. Yeah. And it's funny because Chip gets walked over by Needy. Like he's the other side. Like he's yeah. in love with yeah, Needy. Just, he's doormat to doormat. Yeah, and he doesn't reckon like he doesn't recognize that he is he is subservient to Needy the same way that Needy is subservient to Jennifer for the yeah. same reason. They are in love with them. Um, yeah, yeah. I love brilliant. that. I love that dynamic. Um, let's talk about best gore because this is actually a gory movie and, and well done gore. It is our is R rated, which I enjoy. Um, this is not a fluffy PG 13 horror film. Um, nope. So, Patrick, what is your best gore in uh, Jennifer's body? Before we move on, it seemed there seems to be a pattern going here, Damon. We talk about the dead zone being the, the 2000s, to, uh, 2000 to 2010. Yeah. But every now and then when we talk about like, oh, this was actually a pretty good movie from that era. It's because it was rated R. That's true. <laughs> it's because it went hard. And as opposed to the other ones that just were sort of guised as they were, they were teen dramas guised as horror. Anyway, I digress. My best gore uh, comes from uh, Jennifer feeding on Colin played by... Kyle Gallner, the great Kyle, Kyle Gallner. Gallner, the great Kyle Gallner, who killed it last year's smile and kills it in pretty much everything he does. I was like, holy shit, Kyle Gallner's also in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody's in this movie. Um, it's just a great scene. You know, they're in this like new development in like a house under construction and, and she feasts upon him. Um, 
the the sh- the shot that they take it's like half half his whole flank is gone it was like like he just got attacked by a bunch of hyenas and she's like feeding out of it and i was like god damn that is like gory and hardcore yeah she's like spooning blood into her mouth from his guts which is <laughs> which is super hardcore which also there's another great line earlier in that when she pulls him into that into that weird abandoned uh, house and she drops his pants and she goes nice hardware ace <laughs> yeah which <laughs> so is great very great, diablo great, cody in great that dialogue great dialogue dialogue yeah that's a pretty gnarly scene and i'll be honest that's probably the best gore but i did pick for my best gore a little later in the film and that's when jennifer is feasting on chip uh in the pool when when needy shows up and she sees jennifer eating basically chip's neck for lack of a better way of saying it, she's feasting on him when she turns around and spots her and kind of lets out that guttural scream. Uh, I like that scene a lot because that's a pretty gnarly scene because you really see her bite into Chip and you see the blood all over her face and the blood gushing out of Chip's neck. And I like that scene as well. But the real answer is your answer, which is watching her literally take handfuls of blood and just spoon them into her mouth as she as she basically dissects uh, uh, Colin for dinner. Even in death, Kyle Gallner delivers. Absolutely, his character is really funny too. Like his, yeah, he's like another him. one. Like his, he's the goth, you know, the guy the goth. You know, she, what does she say at one point? She says he listens to maggot rock and wears eyeliner. And just, my dick is bigger than and his. my dick is bigger than his. Yeah, that's the line. That's, yeah, and my dick is bigger than I. Oh my god, just <laughs> so good, so good. Um, let's talk about best scare because this is. Let's be honest, this is more of a horror comedy than straight horror. Now, are there horrific elements in this film? Yes, but it leans further into the comedy than it does the horror. But there's a horror aspect of the. It's the base layer, right? Like it's the base layer, yeah. and the comedy is kind of like the frosting on top. Um, but what, what in your opinion was the best scare in this movie? I think there was a lot of great dread in this movie, too, especially like needy kind of trying to escape Jennifer in many different ways. And again, that creating parallels between escaping her obsession with her and escaping the actual danger of the succubus, etc. But um, my favorite scare was a more typical scare. And that was just at one point she is running for her life from Jennifer, who she now understands to be a completely possessed demon out for flesh. And she runs back to her home and she's just laying in her bed, like crying and sobbing like a teenager. Just oh, like I'm so scared. And then just out of nowhere, the covers come flying open and Jennifer's in the bed with her. Even I was like, oh, shit. okay. that I didn't see that coming because I thought Jennifer was like outside somewhere. Yeah, that was a good one. And she's like, what? We're just having a sleepover. Like always. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was a good one. Actually, and my, my favorite scare is one, again, very typical and good misdirection. But I appreciate that. And that's right after the scene in the fire in the in the club and, and Needy goes back home and she hears noises downstairs. So she goes downstairs and she opens the basement door, looks down. And I want like, again, I've seen this movie at least twice, maybe three times before I just rewatched it. And in my head, rewatching it, when she opens that closet, she opens that basement door, looks down, doesn't see anything. I'm like, okay, she's behind the door. In my head, I thought right. I remembered her being behind the door. She closes the door and she's not. And I'm like, I could have swore she was behind that door. And then she goes to the kitchen. She hears the water, the faucet leaking. And then she turns around. There's Jennifer standing there, beat up, bloodied, discombobulated, just out of her mind. And that got, that was a good one. It's like, Oh, that's what it was. Like it was a good misdirection. Cause usually the misdirection is usually open the door. Nothing's there. Close the door. Somebody's there. 
Yeah. It, that didn't get you. It was later where she did the turnaround from the faucet. And I was like, okay, that was really smart and really funny and a good a good jump scare that I had, I've seen the movie and I forgot about it. And I was like, oh, well, good job. Because I was in my head, she was behind that door, but she wasn't. And I was like, great misdirection. It's it's great work by Karen Kusama because it's it's a lots of build up, which build up is dread. Like that's how you you kind of like like where she's moving through a dark shadowy house and through a basement and downstairs. Like really classic actual like horror movement and horror perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then and then just incredibly great misdirection to make a great time to scare. I mean you got to you got to give it to Karen Kusama for that because that that's incredible direction. It is. So I mentioned earlier that we didn't have best line. And the only reason we didn't have best line is because the timing of doing this, I just didn't have time to pull the full audio, um, which I do want to also want to mention the other reason that I'm glad in a way we didn't do it because I don't know that I could pick one line from this movie. We would have ended up playing like 15 minutes of audio just at this movie of great lines. So in a way, I'm kind of glad we didn't do best line because I 100% would have pulled like 10 clips. That being said, can you explain the category we have in place of best line? Cause this was your idea and I thought it was pretty brilliant. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that Diablo Cody is a rather prolific and, and singular uh, screenwriter. I think she's, she's special amongst many for her, for her weird vernacular. So I had to put best Diabloism <laughs> in here because she comes up with stuff. I go, I swear to God, I've never heard anyone talk like that. Now I'm sure it has, <coughs> excuse me, something to do with her Midwest Midwestern roots. Um, where they just have weird sayings out there. I think that has something to do with with how she does this, but it just, she brings it to the big screen. She brings it to the big audiences. So for mine, I went with like, I was like, what the fuck? Who's, I've never heard anyone say this. At one point, you know, Jennifer is, I think it might've been Colin she was talking to. It was either Colin or one of the guys. And she's trying to kind of seduce them. And how do you seduce a teenage boy? Quite easily, really. You just, I mean, literally like flick him in the nose and you, you probably get something out of him. But she says the weirdest thing. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I've never heard a woman say this. You give me such a wetty. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Colin. That was Colin. Yeah, it was Colin. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I was just like, I was like, if they say that in the Midwest, I'm never going back to the Midwest. Yeah. That is the weirdest, creepiest thing. But of course it's like, it's like a play on you give me a stiffy. Yeah. You know, which is, which by the way, people haven't said since probably the fucking late seventies. Um, but it's just, it was, it was so funny and so weird and so Diablo because I'm like, well, nobody says that. Yeah. You give me such a wedding. That was a good one. So I, when you mentioned this category, I had like a couple different choices. Like, obviously I enjoyed, you know, I, I enjoyed a lot of language, but I want to give a couple of examples of what I really enjoyed about this. So one, uh, that I really enjoyed was actually, um, it was both early in the film. First one is when Jennifer picks up needy and chip is like, you know, chip is kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, let me go back further. There's, there's three, there's three Diabloisms I want to talk about. One early in the film, when chip is, um, with needy as she's getting ready to go to this concert with Jennifer and she's putting on jeans and chip turns to her and goes, those jeans are hella low. I can almost see your front butt. And that line just cracked front butt. I was like, who yeah. the hell says that front butt? Cracked I feel like I've heard it before, but it was weird. It cracked me up. And he's like, and she's like, that's, that's how they look. She goes, that's how they look. And he goes, well, I can see your womb. So <laughs> just the front butt line got me. <laughs> and then as they're going downstairs and, and Jennifer, you know, she kind of disregards chip and, 
I think in a way, Sue's chip is a threat because, like, you know, Needy is hers. Like, she, Needy belongs right. to Jennifer. Chip takes her away from her. Takes takes her away from her. So I enjoyed that aspect. But then she's like, uh, "You're just jealous. You can't go to the concert." He's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "No, no, you're jealous. You're jelly. You're jelly. You're lime green jelly, and you can't even admit it to yourself." And I love that line. That was just a great one. And then my third one, I had to mention, which just cracked me up. It's a play on words. But it was just so, like, it was so matter-of-fact and done that I cracked up. It was when she's talking to the douchey rock star, and she's like, uh, can I buy you a drink? He's like, sure, what are we going to have? And she's like, I'll, I'll, get, you, I'll get it. And she goes to the bar, and she, she's like, <laughs> Needy goes, how are you going to get alcohol? And she's like, I'll just play Hello Titty with the bartender. <laughs> and I cracked up when she said that. It was so matter-of-fact and obviously just a play on words. But the way she said it, she's like, I'll just play Hello Titty with the bartender. Yeah. <laughs> I cracked up. It must be fun being Diablo Cody's friend because you, I guarantee that's how kind of she talks in real life. And that's why it ends up on the page that way. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Diablo Cody was the bartender she played Hello Titty with. <laughs> yeah. And also you mentioned in your notes, you didn't bring it up. You didn't pick that as your line. But the one early in the film, when we see the relationship between Needy and Jennifer, Jennifer is like a cheerleader on stage and they like wave to each other. And the one girl turns her and goes, you're so lesbian gay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, lesbian gay. <laughs> and I bet some of that. I bet lesbian gay is super popular in the queer community. I can't. I can't speak for them, but I'm pretty sure lesbian gay is something that's out there. That cracked me up though. She goes, "You're so lesbian gay." <laughs> <laughs> Such a great line. All right, next category, Patrick. We always talk about this. This has become one of my favorites in the show, and this is where we talk about remake, sequel, or leave it alone. So this is where we take whatever horror film. We're reviewing week to week, and we talk about should they remake the film, should they give it a sequel, or should they just leave it alone? Now, I'm throwing my... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first here, Patrick, and I'm going to give you a fourth choice. Oh, damn it, Damon. I'm pulling... I'm pulling... I'm pulling an audible here. Remake? No. Absolutely not. This is no. brilliant. Leave it the fuck alone. And that's the other one. You know, So leave it alone in that regard. Don't remake it. Leave it alone. Sequel would be interesting. I'm not going to lie. That would be interesting. Maybe. Maybe. But here's my fourth special Jennifer's Body category. Re-release. God damn you, Damien. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's literally what I was going to say. This film didn't find an audience until 10 years later. This film should have basically, if I could erase time and go back and, you know, do some Marvel Cinematic Universe bullshit, this film, I would just erase it from memory in 2009 and release it today because today with horror films doing so well at the box office and studios clamoring for films like this, especially given the themes drop this in theaters today and let Diablo Cody and uh, Karen Kusama make the exact film they want to make. I'm not saying they had a ton of studio notes, but you and I both know they had studio notes. Um, and I know there is, I know there is a director's cut of this film. It gives like extra five minutes, but I've read yeah. a lot of stories about things that didn't make it in the movie. The, the script was more graphic or, 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 or right. brutal in certain parts. Let them, Make the film they want to make. So I, I, I'm not saying remake it because I want everyone the same. I want Amanda Seyfried. I want Megan Fox. I want Adam Brody, all that kind of stuff. Release it now. And this is a $100 million movie. A hundred percent. It's so weird that we're doing this these days. Like we are truly synced up now. Our menstruations are clearly synced at this point. Um, because I that was exactly where I was going with it too. Re-release the damn thing. It's Pride Month. Put it out. During Pride Month, let it run for a month in theaters and see how it does. 
I bet it does great. I mean, it's a fucking great movie. It's a really, really good movie. There's so many just great iconic set pieces. Um, it's clever. It, it it does feel because of the Diablo Cody dialogue, it's like pulled out of time. So it doesn't even have a, a dated feel to it other than the emo stuff, which yeah. is very dated, but it's like dated, but that's kind of the point. Otherwise, it's a very evergreen movie. They should 100% re-release this. Yeah. I, also, to be clear, this was unplanned. For anyone that's like, oh, they planned that. No, no, we yeah. did not plan this. We had You had no idea, literally no idea I was going to say the exact same thing. I was trying to pull one on you, and, and you ended up doing the exact same thing I was going to do. This is how this happens. Yeah, folks, we have like zero time to plan this stuff. It's like we just basically go, uh, can you can you record now? Yes, go. Let's go. Go, go, go. That's about that's about as planned as we get. Yeah. So the fact that we both came over re-release just goes to show where our minds are at a couple of years into this podcast. Yeah, we just we live in the same brain. So, yes, uh, we had this we had this conversation, just a little inside baseball talk a couple of weeks ago. I started watching the show Barry on uh, on HBO. I never watched it before. I heard great things about it. Thought it was I heard it was hilarious and a really really smart smart film or smart show. I was like I want to watch it. And I texted uh, Patrick and I was like, hey, have you ever watched Barry? I just got into season two. And he texted me back and said, yeah, I just started season two. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is weird. Like, there's no planning. Like, I was just like, hey, have you seen Barry? And you're like, yeah, I just started season two. I was like, what the fuck? I just started season two. What the- Get out of my head. Stop living in my head, man. Yeah, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, so weird. All right. Uh, next category, and honestly, maybe my favorite category, can we survive this horror film? So this is the category where Patrick and I inject ourselves, or in this case, our teenage selves, into a film, and in Jennifer's body, could we survive this film? Patrick, I'm going to answer for both of us. No, the fuck, we would not. <laughs> no chance. We are two teenage boys in high school. We're getting succubied. That's just, it's just what's happening. Yeah. It's, it, I just know it. I 100% know that teenage me gets killed by the, by the succubus, by the demon, whatever it is. For 100% sure. I am 100% Colin. I am 100% <laughs> going to be Colin. I'm, she's going to spoon blood out of my guts and eat me alive. That is 100% what would happen. We, what we would, I'll, I'll just, I just answered for you. We ain't making it, Patrick. There is no way we are making it to the final reel in this film. Like we, and, and to be honest, none of the men do because at the end, you know, needy goes on a, you know, needy goes out and decides to kill off the band, which is smart, which also great, great, great cameo by Lance Hendrickson. The yeah. awesome Lance Hendrickson, Bishop from Aliens, uh, shows up as the guy who picks up Needy uh, uh, as a hitchhiker, and she's like, I'm following a band. It's their last show ever. And I was like, yes. Really yeah. cool ending to the film. Uh, she gets revenge on on Low Shoulder uh, for doing what they did to Jennifer. Uh, but yeah, we ain't making it, man. Like, I don't know, no. if you're, I don't know if I'm Colin or if I'm Chip, or I'm not making it. There is no way I'm making it out of this movie. I'm dead, and yeah, you're spooning blood out of my guts and me for dinner for sure dead <laughs> it was the easiest one it was the easiest can we survive this horror film i've ever i've ever come across yeah, I was like, yeah, I teenage, teenage you, me stands no chance do you remember what you were like as a teen like it's a little cringy right to think back what you were like as a teenager yeah. and i'm like yeah there's yeah. no way like i'd love to believe i'd be smart enough to know what was coming at 17 18 no way there i'm no- telling you right now, this is not a brag this if anything it could it could be uh, an, an admission of being a douche I always, always approached the most popular girls, like almost on purpose. And I was not a popular guy, like not. 
<laughs> but it was like it was one thing it was like I, it was i'm just sort of one of those people who like will face their fears and every teenage boy is afraid of the most popular girl at school but i i always had to talk to them so i would have been easy pickings oh my gosh you'd be like cool there's here's a meal that just showed up yeah i would the, <laughs> the only difference was with me is like i would the only reason i would be apprehensive is because i would i would my radar would only go up because i'd be like there is no way on god's green earth that this girl is interested in me i was like there is no way although it always reminds me there's a great there's a great uh i don't know again i could bring up comparisons to shows or movies that have nothing to do with horror but there's a great uh episode of friends which you know talk about the, the tv shows um there's a great there's a great episode of friends where ross uh uh david schwimmer's character is dating rebecca romaine stamos uh the great rebecca whatever her name is now o'connell yeah, yeah is it is it, she's married to jerry o'connell now yeah uh rebecca romaine rebecca romaine o'connell whatever the hell her name is uh at the time she was stamos and uh and everyone's like uh how did you do that and he's like i don't know he's like i have no <laughs> idea and then and then uh jennifer anderson's character rachel she goes um yeah, she's probably in some kind of contest with her friend to see who can bring back the biggest nerd. And, 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 Ross, and Ross goes, I don't care. Hope she wins. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly teenage me. This is a trap. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. So that's the line. Like, nope, don't care. Hope she wins. That would be me. That would be me. Like, there's no way Jennifer is going to go for me. But yeah, sure. Why not? Like, you know, like th this is me getting eaten alive. Like, I'm just offering up my guts. Uh, yeah, 100%. That is me in this film. Uh, last category is always Patrick. Is it scary? I feel like I know the answer to this film, but let's talk about it. Is this film actually scary? It's weird because I think it's half and half because I and I think it was designed that way. It was designed to very much be a funny and fun movie. But when the scares need to happen and when the dread needs to happen, it happens correctly. It ha I say correctly, but it, ha it happens in, in, a, in a very horror way, I should say. Um, so half yes, half no. Was I scared? No, and I, I don't know that anyone even gets scared even I, I would I would like to ask a, a bunch of women what they think about this movie. If if you do, by the way, feel free to reach out to us and tell us if you thought it was scary when you first saw it. But I feel like it's not designed to scare you. But when it does scare you, it's successful at it. Yeah, I would agree. It's funny. Once again, like we kind of have the same brain wavelength on this one. I kind of feel the same way because it's not traditionally scary in that regard. Even the gore isn't like over the top to where you couldn't handle right. if you're just not way into gore. But there are definitely moments of dread in this film, particularly like when Jennifer gets in the van, when you see the flashback of what the hapless, stupid band does to her and like how you know they're basically reading a color by numbers <laughs> to sacrifice a virgin, which is like mind numbingly dumb, but also like perfectly accurate for low shoulder. Um, <laughs> but there, but there are moments that dread where like, you know, you see her like being sacrificed at a freaking altar and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like there's moments of that where, it, where there's some of that in there isn't traditionally scary no and i don't really know that it was made that way i mean is it a horror film absolutely but yeah. it's more of a horror comedy and i think it's more of a horror comedy with really smart commentary um so yeah it's scary at moments but it's not traditionally scary and i don't think anyone's going to go in this movie thinking oh man i'm going to be scared no it's not that kind of film um but it's not made to be that kind of film it's not made to be that kind of film but i gotta tell you damon for for first view i'm highly impressed and I actually can't wait to revisit it. It's going to be one of those movies that I'll enjoy revisiting over the years. It was so part of the reason we reviewed this film, uh, beyond the fact that we wanted to kind of close out Pride Month with a film that is celebrated 
in the queer community. Uh, and I, I looked at a lot of them. There's a million out there, but I was like, Jennifer, and the reason I, the reason, one of the reasons we ended up picking Jennifer's body is because it's available right now. You can stream it. I believe it's on Max and it's been yeah. showing on HBO a lot this, this past month. That was part of the reason because it's accessible right now. And so I was like, that's, that's what I want to do because it's accessible. And it's also a film that was just way ahead of its time. It was just, again, we talk about re-release. Like this was just ahead of its time. I wish this film came out last year and, and would have 100% been on both of our top five lists for the best films of the year. Like it's that kind of film, smart, edgy, the commentary is great. The acting is great. The dialogue is incredible. The script is great. The direction is phenomenal. Um, it's just, it happened early. They, they peaked early. They came out too soon. If this came out in 2023, 2022 would have been a smash hit. And it just bums me out. But the one thing I will say much like a film we referenced in this uh, in, the, in this reference in the movie, and I mentioned earlier, like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that wasn't a big massive smash hit at the time, but it's now become this massive cult classic amongst the horror community. I think that's what Jennifer's Body is. It, it is one hundred percent found its audience. I mean, it is one hundred percent found its audience. And, and a lot of people love this movie now. My only disappointment is that it didn't make $100 million at the box office or $80 million at the box office because it should have. It's that kind of film. And if it came yeah. out today, it would. And so that's my only my only regret with this movie is like it just came out 14 years too early or 13 years too early. It's all good. I think a lot of horror movies like find their audience and yeah, I'm happy to add this to the list. Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer's body, as we mentioned, is available, I believe right now on max and you can also buy it. I saw, I looked it up last night cause I was like, I don't own this movie. Uh, I am a physical media collector and I was like, I don't own this movie. And I think right now you can get it for like 11 bucks on Amazon prime for a Blu-ray, which is super cheap. Hmm. So yeah, Jennifer's body, highly, highly recommend it. Watch it. Love it. It's a brilliant film. And uh, if you couldn't tell Patrick and I both adore it. Uh, that is our show for this week, folks. We're going to be back next week with more uh, more horror movies to review. If you got comments, questions, movies you'd like us to review, or you just want to comment on uh, Jennifer's body, and maybe you are a woman listening to two dudes talk about it, and you're like, hey, jackasses, here's what this movie is. Um, send us an email, rotlivingdead at gmail.com. That's rot livingdead at gmail.com or you can always reach out on social media we have every social media channel we're on twitter we're on facebook we are on instagram just search rewind of the living dead and you'll find us on there follow send us messages send us comments send us suggestions we are always open to that and always happy to receive your messages find us on all your favorite podcast platforms of course apple podcasts spotify Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts. I just actually revamped our Google Podcast this week, and that that was up and running again. I had a little hiccup with, with Google Podcast search engine, but it's working and fixed, and everything's good to go now. And of course, I mentioned always find us over on YouTube. We're still trying to build our subscriber base on YouTube, so just search "Rewinded the Living Dead" on YouTube. Find us over there. You can actually see our faces, watch our reactions as we react like two jackass men uh, to a woman specifically made by two great women, uh, and you can see that. Uh, with the uh, with the video version of this podcast on YouTube, and as I said, always send us questions. You can also also always hit us up on our own personal uh, social media channels. I am at Damon Martin, and you are at Director Patrick. A big thank you as always to everyone that tunes in to Rewind of the Living Dead. Go check out Jennifer's body. Promise you will not regret it. Or if you love it and you just haven't seen it in a while, go watch it again. It's that good. We appreciate everyone tuning in as always. We'll be back next week with more Rewind of the Living Dead. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace, lesbian gays.